Welcome to the Darlington Extra podcast channel, working with communities, staff and partners to provide positive outcomes. Hi, my name's Brooke Hodgkiss and I'm the Academy Coordinator for Darlington Borough Council. Welcome to episode six of our trauma-informed series, working in a trauma-informed, relational and strengths-based way. Let's start with some introductions. My name's Donna, a step up to social work student working within children's assessment and safeguarding. I've got a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in trauma-informed education. My name's Jill. I'm the relation and restorative practice lead for Darlington and I work with Brooke in workforce development. My name's Ian Mendham. I'm a social worker and adult contact team for Darlington Borough Council. Brilliant, thank you. We've spoken over the episodes about trauma-informed practice, but in Darlington, we work in a relational and strengths-based way. What are they? So um, I'll, I'll answer that for you, Brooke. So Darlington has adopted um, the relational practice model, which encompasses um, four different theories, which is solution-focused, signs of safety, restorative practice and strengths-based approach. So basically, this is a toolbox where our practitioners can dip in and pick out what they feel might be the most appropriate tool, if you like, to use in any one particular situation. So I'll just explain a little bit about why I think relational practice is a really good way to work with people who are suffering from trauma. Is suffering the right word? I'm not sure. Donna and uh, Ian might pull me up on that. Restorative practice is a way of developing relationships. It's to have empathy. It's to work in the strength in the relationship and build upon relationships. It's about working with and not to. So we offer high support and high challenge. And it's a positive way for people to look at their own problem solving equity, if you like, and, and build on the strengths that they already have. When we use in solution focused practice, that's we facilitate a person to look at their preferred futures, what they would like to see happen in their lives. So kind of questions you would ask there is kind of what do you want to achieve from the work that we're doing together? What would it look like? What would you notice about yourself if you were managing your trauma better? And what would others notice about you? And then, of course, when working with adults, we already use a strengths-based approach. So drawn on the strengths and assets of um, a particular person and the positive attributes that a group of people professionals can bring to that. So I think um, our approach in Darlington is all, all about focusing on positive aspects um, and supporting people. So I think it's quite a good model to use when uh, working with people with trauma. Brilliant. Thanks, Jill. Is there anything you'd like to add, Donna? Or Ian? Um, yeah, what I would like to say is um, based on based on the model is understanding that the relation and restorative practice is grounded in the idea that human relationships are of paramount importance and they should be at the heart of all good social work practice. So in its simplest terms, it's returning to the core business of seeing the dynamic between people and the abilities to change. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we've got to remember, though, is um, you're exactly right, Donna, about building those relationships. But um, all of the service users we work with need to be treated with respect, irrespective of their circumstances. And we've got to be aware that 
you know, in particular, say children have no meaningful choice but to work with social services. So, you know, it's about pulling out and, and building those relationships with children, with adults to form, you know, and look at the positive solutions to to their difficulties. And I think that's, you know, there's been a, a quite a significant change in social work for adults, particularly now we've adopted the strengths-based model. Um, I think when we, we we visit a lot of our service users, a lot of them expect us to operate on a deficit approach. And I think that's probably counterproductive to what trauma what a trauma-informed workplace looks like, and especially now we're using strengths-based. So it's about trying to, to share that information, get that information over that, you know, we want to work on your strengths and redevelop those. You know, it's, it's about being mindful of our language or what aspects of the support that we focus on. And although we have to you know, we have to consider the impact and the effects of, of, of historical trauma. Um, it, it's about that forward looking approach and how we can work with them to to, to use the impact of that in a strengths based and, and positive manner. And I think that's where restorative and relational practice really, really comes into effect with that. Can you be trauma informed and relational and strengths based? I think you very much can. You know, as Ian said, we work in, we working on the positives. Um, you know, many moons ago, social workers would turn up and say, right, what's the problems? Tell me what they are and I'll fix them. And we very much look at that now as working for somebody or to somebody and not with them. So that's where our direction of travel has changed. And the reason for this, I kind of think about it as trying to build people's problem-solving equity. So, you know... We have a lot of families who come back and back and back into services or, you know, so what we're trying to do is reduce that down by giving people real answers to their difficulties that they can come back to, you know, in the future. If there's a particular issue that reoccurs, they can think about what they did last time, how they, how they worked through that last time. And that's kind of the direction of travel we're going to. You know, we, we all uh, appreciate the, the burden and the... Um, financial impact that's on social care at the moment and whatever we can do and however we can work more proactively to support and protect our budget and finances to to ensure that it goes to those people who are in high need then that's the way that we've all got to start working and looking at this in a different way. I think one of the benefits of, of our role as social workers is there is so many different approaches, so many different theories to adopt at each intervention. We can go out and assess somebody. We can ask one question from a solution-focused perspective, which will lead us on to another question, which is more a restorative, which then leads us into like a strengths-based way. And I think we, as you develop within your, 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 your profession, you kind of adopt that fluidity really quite quickly and you, you dip in and out of different perspectives and approaches and I think a lot of the time and a lot of colleagues would probably agree is we, we do it without even realise that we're doing it because we've 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 developed those skills and I think that's the benefit of, of having insight into all these different approaches and what the benefits of each one are and what you can get from it and how you can use that to keep the person at the core of the intervention and you know I think the, one of the biggest things that it does it does significantly address that power balance, ensure that we're not trying to take their power and their control, we're trying to um, enable them to use it 
more for themselves. And as Jill's already alluded to, you know, get them to the, the core of the of the issues and let them identify how they feel it can be fixed. And it can try and repeat those, repeat, ref, uh, sorry, try and reduce those, repeat referrals and put that person back in control of, of their own need and their own destiny, essentially. I love that. Thanks, Ian. Um, is there anything you'd yeah. like to add, Donna? Yeah, so... Um, what I feel with regards to trauma-informed approaches, they have become increasingly cited within policy and they've been adopted a lot more recently within practice, um, reducing the neg- negative impact of trauma and supporting mental and physical health outcomes. They've done this by building upon evidence over several decades of how they, um, how they are effective when worked with, with alongside other approaches. However, there has been a lack of consensus within the health and social care sector on how trauma-informed practice is defined, what its key principles are, and how it can be built into services and systems and promoted for our service users and children and families. Within trauma-informed care, the therapeutic relationship is the most important aspect and the indicator for successful treatment. As practitioners, we need to create an environment that redefines those disruptive attachment beliefs so that the individual regains that sense of safety, trust, self-esteem and most importantly power and control so by using a trauma-informed approach and a relational approach this encompasses all of those elements and ensures that they're all addressed brilliant thank you so that leads us on to the next point really um how would we use them together the approaches and what if someone we're working with doesn't think that they've experienced trauma healing from all types of trauma is possible but it's not an overnight fix. And a lot of people do seem to think that you just move on from trauma. It takes time. And it can, with, for some people as well, it can take a lot of time. Um, the first step forward toward that recovery is the most difficult one. Um, it's the confrontation of the traumatic event, what it meant. And it might bring up some hurtful memories, sensations, feelings and triggers. One thing that's been noted within research is trauma denial, and this is a way to put distance between yourself and the overwhelming experience of trauma. Um, as you can imagine, that denial can be an enormously useful, useful tool, and trauma denial may be helpful within the short term. It allows the trauma survivor, the trauma survivor, to stand up and get back on the feet again. However, ongoing trauma denial causes more suffering than there needs to be. If not addressed, trauma survivors may learn how to suppress this unpleasant experience from their past. However, their body and mind will continue to carry it until the trauma is fully confronted. We understand that addressing trauma symptoms isn't easy, but once done, it can be thoroughly rewarding. It can help personal growth and allowing the individual to feel more solid, self-actualised and whole. Trauma denial serves as a shield that emotionally and mentally disconnects you from the traumatic event, but it may not help in in healing the pain. So it's understanding why trauma denial happens and becoming accepting of living with the trauma denial, um, which then allows um, a powerful healing tool for individuals and allows us as social work practitioners to be able to help individuals heal and grow. Lovely. Jill, Ian, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, um, some of the the age ranges that we work with in adults, I I think as the research on trauma is becoming more and more available and we start to recognise more and more of the science, it's important to try and support people that don't recognise the are enduring 
like historical traumatic events you know some people we work with have, have lived through world wars have lived through various pandemics have lived through absolutely all sorts and they don't realize that there probably is some repercussion repercussions of those traumatic events and you know they don't like for, for want of a better term these airy fairy approaches that we sometimes use when we're speaking to them they're just they've got such a, a strong resilience to that and although we recognize that there is some signs of of historical trauma and how they're living and dealing with it it, it is important to address that with them because we can't move past it like Don's already mentioned you know we, we can't move past it in, until we address that because in some respects it's not the only cause but it, it is one of them and it's important that as, as adult practitioners we we help them to address that and you know that's where we can use the restorative approach the strengths-based approach we can work with people work, work collaboratively with people and other professionals to essentially get this person to where they need to be it's all in something interesting like, like Don's mentioned about trauma denial is I think it's worthwhile mentioning that even as practitioners we can face trauma doing our job and it's important that we're able to rec recognise those signs so we are able to identify trauma in ourselves. We see quite a lot of um, unpleasant situations and incidents and you know I've, I've gone through several myself in just a short term of my own career so it's important to not hide away from those events and you know there is support available to, to practitioners there's support available to service users and people in the community knowing those signs and recognizing the impacts and how that can affect your professional personal and collaborative working relationships and, and things like that so you know knowing those signs and being more trauma informed is, is going to improve us as practitioners it's going to improve our ability to share those experiences and outcomes with team members and colleagues that maybe go through their own traumatic events so yeah like like Don has mentioned already it, it's important to have that traumatic insight. That's some really good points there Ian. Is there anything you'd like to add Jill? Yeah, I was just thinking about what Ian's just been talking, you know, secondary trauma is um, real in this job. And, um, you know, as we would encourage and refer um, service users who we work with to, to seek support and help, we would always seek support and help as and and sort of encourage our colleagues to do that as well yeah. there are we do have um services available in darlington so i would always sort of um ask that people would reach out if if that's the case but just talking about trauma denial just quick point over the years working in children's services i've worked with quite a few young people who have been part of their care plan and has been that they've got to see cams you know they have to there's something there they've got to see cams and then in later life they've kind of talked about the fact that they've become um weary of, of counseling weary of of therapies and just kind of ad, really adverse to it um so i just kind of sort of like to raise that point with colleagues and just think about that before you kind of start rushing in to try and deal with this now because it's part of your your outcome of assessment is that this child needs this or needs that just try and be mindful that sometimes it's not the right time you know the language we use creates our reality so you know if you're talking about trauma to a child is that is that because you think that it's time for them 
children, young people, adults understand their own kind of feelings and understand better when it's time for them to seek that support rather than us trying to kind of railroad them into it because it's what we think they need at that point. I think it's just like adding to that what what Jill's just mentioned there about cams and you know engaging children with with trauma and and quite very similar to what to what we do here in adults secondary trauma is very real even for the parents of those children that are going through these processes engaging with social social services for some parents can be a traumatic event in itself and then trying to access appropriate services and the number of referrals and various professionals that can become involved, it, it does have a significant impact on the adult and on the parent that are working with the children. So I know that they, they can typically within social care, there can be quite a large divide between adults and, and children's social workers, but what children's social workers do do a lot of work with adults. And similarly to us, some of our service users have children. So I, I think there is some crossover in that, and I think that is really an area for development, particularly when we're trying to work more collaboratively and cohesively. Couldn't agree more, Ian. That's why we're trying to push that forward at the moment. You know, you were you joined some training last week where there was children and adult social workers there. We're, we're doing various different meetings for our advanced practitioners and getting everybody together. So I couldn't agree more on that point. Fabulous. So really, again, moves us on to the next point lovely brilliantly how do we improve people's outcomes using trauma-informed and relational or strengths-based practice one way to work with traumatized young people is to build upon social work's commitment to relational-based practice and develop services that adhere to the principles of trauma-informed approaches for professionals working in a trauma-informed way this includes listening to the listening to the child or young person um, listening to them extremely carefully, acknowledging not just their verbal but their non-verbal cues helps us to recognise how past experiences influence their reality today by offering a trustworthy relationship where they can build a safer life for themselves. This may be the most important service we can offer to children and families that we work with. And for me, it's through this reforging of social bonds and the development of different types of relationships with people that we can help them to learn to live with that legacy that is trauma and the and the, tra- the trauma that it leaves on them, where the hope for a different type of life can be fostered and promoted. I think that I think that's vitally important. You know, if if we're working with people where we, we certainly know that there is trauma, it, it needs to be addressed because that's if, if it's not addressed, that's where we're going to see that, that cycle continuing. It's probably one of the, the big the biggest opportunities in social care where we can work more proactively um, to try and minimise future requirements for services, for therapeutic services, you know, and if we can address it as soon as the signs are recognised and we can start to reforge those social bonds, we can truly practise the, the, the the core values of social work, I think that's going to have you know, a significant impact on the person's current situation as much as possible. But essentially, it's going to, hopefully, it's going to limit or reduce the future impact on social care, like longer term and, you know, into adulthood and through those important transitional milestones that every young person will go to. It's worthwhile, like, think about, you know, in, in hindsight, 
if we had these kinds of this kind of insight and knowledge about trauma and relational practice, would we be seeing a different generation that we're working with now? Would those needs be different? Would those requirements be different? Would the services we can we can offer people be different? You know, and I, I suppose this is where things may start to change. Now we have this this more developed knowledge. Brilliant. Thanks, Ian. Is there anything you'd like to add, Jill? Yeah, I just think, um, you know, we we always looking for the better outcome and, and however we get there, you know, the relational practice model is, as Ian's alluded to earlier on, and as I have as well, it's almost like a bit of a toolbox. So you pick out bits that will be helpful to work with that particular adult, child, family. Um, and we're always looking to see where we did well and what we did well and build upon that. You know, we have a real strong um, focus on our quality and auditing in Darlington. Um, and that's where we find out from our service users what we did well and how we can grow that part of our intervention with them. I just think, you know, we when I look back now, maybe 10 years, how we used to practice social work and how we practice social work now, we're so focused now on positive outcomes for, for children's families and adults. We're so focused on that. And I think, um, you know, using all of our um, expertise, skills and knowledge, um, however we use it, it you know, we, we use the relational practice model in so many different ways. And as Ian said earlier, without even probably noticing it, but the core value of, of Darlington Borough Council is to work on positives with people for their better outcomes and so that they can sustain change. So yeah, we're, we're always striving towards um, finding ways for better outcomes. I think that's one of the beauties of social work, isn't it? I mean, I, I've only been qualified now for what, nearly three years. And I think in that time, there's been such a trans- transformation in, in social work. Um, and we, we hear some of the things when, we, when we're working with people about their perspective of it. And some of the stories sound quite horrendous, you know, that I know like for the perspective of the general public about children's social workers, you know, they just come and take children away. That's, that's essentially the job. And like a lot of our elderly people say to us, you know, the first thing to say was, is, I don't want to go in a care home. Shouldn't take me, put me in a care home. And like trying to break that stigma. It's like, that's not what it's about. We don't want you in a care home. We want you at home. We want you living your best life. We want to support you to be um, as independent as you're physically and mentally able to. And it's how I work with you to help you achieve that. So adopt like social work's got the, got the beauty, hasn't it? We can take bits of, of various series from... Um, fields across social care, for, across health, and we we can adapt it and use it to that person, which allows us to practice in a truly person-centered way. Not every theory works for every person, not every approach works for every person. So having that fluidity and that flexibility to to use whichever bits you see fit, I think it, it's one of the most remarkable aspects of our role. I've um, I've just been reading some research as well, Ian, to kind of back that up. And what it's saying is that um, good practice in social work is it, seen as an outcome in itself now. So, so what we're saying is, you know, when we when we phone our service users up for a bit of feedback about their 
their experience uh, of their social worker. There's, if they're saying, you know, well, they were really good, they did what they said, they came on time and all the rest of it, it's it's becoming an outcome in itself. So mm. it's becoming something that we can hang our hat on and say, you know what, we've got good people here, mm. you know, and that's where we're trying to like slot in our training alongside to give you those extra kind of things to balance that out. Yeah. So you've got your, your excellent practice because that's your own moral value and then you've got your, your kind of your training that slots in. Mm-hmm. So we've got our outcomes to match. It's, it's really, it, it really is like sort of like exciting times to be in social work at the minute, I feel anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that, Jill. And I feel as, um, as someone that actually isn't qualified yet, as a student who's nearly qualified, um, I don't know how practices were, say, like five or ten years ago, but you can certainly see the improvement within like practicing approaches now, especially going forward if we can carry on this train of mashing together trauma-informed practice and relational. It's only going to have positive outcomes in the future, which which will be great to see. So I hope it continues at the pace it does, if not faster. I think with with social work, you know, we work with the most unpredictable thing on the planet, which is people. You know, people continue to evolve, needs continue to evolve, and I think the beauty of of the tools that were available that are available to us will evolve alongside it. And I I, th- I think you know we'll we'll see a lot of these approaches be used for quite some time. However, I do think they will adapt, they will change, we will encompass new approaches, we will develop different ways of working with people. And I, th- I think that's the only way social work can go. It can't maintain that same approach when it clearly would not be effective for the way things continue to change. Thanks so much. So excellent conversation. And I think really the, the, what we take from that is, you know, relationships underpin everything that we do. So we can be trauma-informed and strength-based and relational and family-focused. You know, like I said, relationships underpin everything. And for us in Darlington, you know, we've got our relational umbrella to use as a toolkit as well, which um, obviously encompasses all of what's been discussed today and um, to support not only our families, but each other. Thank you so much for today. Um, like I said, it's been a really good discussion. Thanks for your contributions. You can find more discussions, podcasts and information on Darlington Extra. You've been listening to the Darlington Extra podcast on our Darlington Extra podcast channel. For more great content, make sure you subscribe now.